This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Welcome, friend, to our weekly garden party. We hope you brought along your questions because it's time to dish the dirt. On The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Well, good morning, my friends. Welcome along here. Uh, you're... A sous chef of the garden behind the mic here in Toronto. And, of course, from her homestead there in Prince Edward County, the lovely and talented Charlie Dobbin. Good morning, Charlie. Good morning, Frankie. What a great intro. Well, you deserve every little bit of Keep it, my that friend. Coming. Yeah, yeah. How are you got... doing? I'm back. I'm in Ontario. That's right, yeah. Remember... Uh, you wound up uh, going out to Vancouver and uh, to Fino, right? Yes, yes. Um, we were shooting episodes of uh, an in-production documentary series called Healing Garden. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, had a really, well, I spoke with you last Saturday. I was in Tofino. That's and then right. we headed back to Vancouver. The idea had been to go to Kelowna but on Tuesday, actually. But you might remember you heard in the news that on Monday there was a construction crane that oh, collapsed yeah. in downtown Kelowna, killing people and shutting down the downtown. So we cut our, our, our um, trip short. We did not go to Kelowna. There's also, it's pretty smoky, I think, in that part of British Columbia right now, too, with the wildfires. So uh, we did not produce the third episode that we thought we might, but we did two really amazing episodes, one in Vancouver at the Natobi Memorial Garden in uh, UBC, University of British Columbia, and the second was in Tofino. And actually, the, I think after I spoke with you last Saturday, uh, we got into interviewing and talking to uh, carvers who were making a new totem pole. So oh, wow. it's, a really, it's going to be a great episode. Oh, that's true. We can't wait. Healing yeah. Gardens, that'll be coming Healing. along on... Uh, Probably just knowing the way things work, it'll be like next summer. Okay, dokie. We'll <laughs> advise folks with lots and lots of warning time to make sure they don't, don't miss an episode. That's right, okay. and it'll be on Vision TV. So if you don't currently subscribe to Vision, get Vision, uh, because until it gets sold to Netflix, it's only on Vision. <laughs> that's right. What's the weather like uh, where you are right now? Well, uh, you know what? It is overcast, and it is uh, damp. And I'm not at all upset about that at all. Uh, we need rain here, and um, it's, I have a lot of laundry to do, so I'm kind of <laughs> glad it's a damp day. What? <laughs> Elliot's not going to do that for you? No, he's been <laughs> cooking me meals, though. So uh, I'm getting uh, all right, we'll let him off the hook for sure. <laughs> We've got a number of emails. We're uh, just chock full of yeah, information, and folks of- are wanting to call in. So let me get the phone numbers on the air here. <laughs> That's really my job uh, in <laughs> Toronto to reach Charlie. Call 416 416- Three six zero zero seven forty anywhere in the province. Toll free one eight six six seven forty four seven forty. Keep our little mantra in mind, if you would please. Call early, call often. One question per call. And if you happen to be a first time caller, let our operator Carlos know. And just before you come on the air, you're going to get your garden wings. Yeah. Okay, there we go. Good stuff. 
Yeah. Oh, I think it's we're set to go. As a matter of fact, we have a caller from Hillsburg uh, waiting online, uh, Mar- Maureen. So you hang on, Marlene, that is. Hang on. We'll be right back with you, Charlie Dobbin, on the air, The Garden Show. Fur and feathers and bugs of all size. There's more going on in the garden than you realize. Should small creatures become a big problem, then you've got The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Exclusively on Zoomer Radio. And we're into kind of a cloudy, wet sort of morning here in downtown Toronto, but let's brighten things up. A little sunshine coming from Hillsburg, Ontario. That would be Marlene online. Good morning, Marlene. Good morning, Charlie. Good morning, Frank. How are you? Great, thank you. Good morning. How are you? Good. I have a question about green onions. <laughs> I planted some multiplier onions, and I planted too many. Actually, we couldn't use them, and then with all the rain, I didn't get to them, but they've gone to seed, I think. Uh, well, so what, if, what do you see? They've got a long, too hard tube on them with a ball on top. Is that gone to seed? Um, it can be. Um, onions and many bulbs, sometimes they'll produce a flower, which will, of course, produce seeds, Sometimes they'll produce what um, a tiny little bulb. That's probably in the case of the multipliers. That might be what you'll end up seeing once that ball opens. There'll be little tiny uh, little bulbs in there, little onion bulbs. So you can save those, plant them next year. You can, you know, throw them in a stir fry. I mean, all parts of the onion is edible. Okay, so they're still okay to eat then. Oh, sure, absolutely. Okay, great. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks for calling, Marlene. Uh, A little reminder as I'm glancing at the monitor here. My golly, this does not happen often where we don't have any calls waiting. So this, this, yeah, I know. (laughs) This would be a perfect time if you've been saying to yourself, God, I'd love to get on that show and ask for a question. Right now would be a perfect time in Toronto, 416-360-0740. Anywhere in the province, toll free, 1-866-740-4740. But never mind, we've got tons of emails to deal with to help us along the way. And in fact, uh, Charlie, we have one here from Linda Daniels-Smith, who says, I planted a bleeding heart in my front garden. All other plants, geranium, sedum, snapdragon, hostas, etc., they're doing wonderful. But my bleeding heart is dying. Any suggestions? Ancaster, Ontario, by the way. Yeah. Yeah, so thanks for that, Linda. Um, Probably what's happening is that her bleeding heart is going dormant. It's not really dying. I mean, it probably looks like it's dying because... You know, flowers, you remember bleeding hearts are those pink heart-shaped flowers, and they've got a little drips of blood coming off of them, which is why they're called bleeding hearts. Uh, and they bloom in the spring, and they're herbaceous perennials, so they, you know, over the years, they can become quite a large uh, stand in the garden. Then, as summer progresses and the temperatures heat up around summertime, and particularly if it's a very a fairly shady location, because they do grow in the shade, they will go dormant. So they turn yellow and they die down, and then they leave a big hole in your garden. It's like, oh, what was there? And then, of course, next spring they'll come up again. So don't worry about them dying. If you plant them in more sun, they are more likely to stay green throughout the summer. Um, and the shadier, like I said, they will go dormant. But have a plan. Have something that comes up after the bleeding heart. So, you know, it could be something as simple as hosta, you know, big hosta, something like that, that once the bleeding heart is finished blooming, there's something else coming up behind it. And if it is a shady spot, hosta could do well in there. Um, you know, there's, there's various and sundry shade-tolerant herbaceous plants that, you know, it's one of those succession plantings. So we have always things growing spring, summer, fall, etc. Okay, all righty. Uh, I have a note here from... 
Pat Seeger. Uh, she says, uh, could you please help me identify it's a perennial, been blooming, it seems, for two months, ready to cut it back, right? <laughs> Thanks in advance, Pat, in Burlington. Yeah, it's a pretty good photograph, but it's quite close. So I think, based on the photograph, uh, Pat, you, if you're listening, you could check this on the web, make sure I'm right. It looks like creeping flocks. And this was a good year for creeping flocks. We had a fair amount of sun this spring which and dryness and heat and everything else. So creeping flocks creeps, and uh, it, 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 um, when it blooms, it's very, very showy, like to sort of knock your socks off colors, pink, white, um, almost a fluorescent blue. So once it's finished blooming, which it will eventually do, I'm sure it's finished now, shear the plant. So get out. If you have some kind of shears, it could be just pruners, but it could be also something with longer blades. And you're going to just trim the whole plant back, tighten it down, make it more compact, cut off all the dead stuff, the dead, you know, dead heading, dead blooms, and you'll find it'll look better all summer because it'll be more compact. It'll just be a little green mound, but it will also not be all kind of floppy and falling over and, and looking kind of, you know, not very pretty with all those dead flowers. So shearing and, of course, make sure it is in lots and lots of sun and be careful with watering because it does like to be on the dry side. Okay. I'm going to give you a moment to fill up your coffee cup as we take our uh, next break here on the show. But a reminder of the phone numbers to call Charlie Dalvin, 416-360-0740 in Toronto. In, anywhere in the province, of course, toll-free, 1-866-740-4740. When we come back, Charlie, you're going to be speaking with Bob from Toronto, maybe just around the corner. That's coming up next here on The Garden Show from Zoomer Radio. Daffodils and daisies, bluebells and begonias, forsythia and foxgloves, marigolds, magnolia, lavender and lupins, dahlias, delphiniums, stalks, fox, hollyhocks, tulips and sweet williams. You've picked the right place for everything floral. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Well, Charlie, I wonder what's going on in Bob's backyard. Let's find out. Here he is from just around the corner here in Toronto, possibly. Good morning, Bob. Welcome to the show. Well, good morning, Frank. Good morning, Charlie. I hope you're having a great morning. Mm-hmm. Um, just a couple of, uh, just a quick one. I hope you haven't uh, answered this already. Um, I have oh, about four or five I'm not sure if they're called clematis or clematis. I tend to call them clematis, but I've heard both ways. They're blooming beautifully right now, and I was told that if you deadhead them, they will continue to flower, I guess very much like geraniums do. Is this true, or do I just let them do their thing and eventually sometime in the fall just cut them back for the winter? Hey, that's a good question, Bob. Uh if they're blooming prolifically right now, just confirm for me that they are flat flowers, they're like almost like an open hand, like a big daisy kind of flower, yes? Basically, yes. Okay, so the thing, um, okay, and the question about clematis or clematis, we call, clematis is what comes off the tips of our tongues. The proper pronunciation is from the Greek, clema, to climb. So properly, they're, they're clematis. pronounced clematis because of the clema to climb part of it but anyway it doesn't matter we all know what plant we're talking about it's a vine it's it's a happy plant lots of beautiful colors the thing with clematis is that there are spring flowering there are summer flowering and then there are uh, late summer blooming and then there's some that even bloom twice a year sounds like what you've got are the sort of traditional what we call a summer flowering clematis there's all these various 
varieties. So what I do is don't bother deadheading. It's not worth the time it would take. Enjoy the flowers while they're flowering. Once they're done flowering, they'll produce little furry almost seed pods, which are not likely to actually produce any viable seed, but nevertheless, they're pretty. They're the, you know, little pom-pom seed heads. And then leave the plant alone, if you can, through the fall and winter. Let it stay where it is, stand where it is, or the multi-plants that you have, uh, unless they're interfering with a walkway or something, just let them be. In the spring, get out your pruners. When the, you look and you'll watch and you'll see little buds will start to grow in the spring, you know, sort of not super early spring, but, you know, a couple weeks into spring, and you'll see what looks like little mouse ears, little tiny furry buds start to show. And when they start to show, you get out your pruners and you cut the entire plant down to approximately 8 inches to 12 inches tall, just above some buds. So hack through that. Everything that comes off goes into the composter. And what will happen, of course, is you'll get lots more new growth, lots more prolific green growth, and ultimately lots more flowers next summer. Great. Well, thank you very much, Charlie. You're very welcome. welcome. Yeah, go ahead. You tend to be away during the spring. How late can I leave it before I trim them back? Well... Uh, you can, tr- when do you get back, like May or June or April? Yes, or May. May. Um, you, well, I mean, you, I have sometimes gotten distracted with other things in the spring. <laughs> and when I look at my clematis, I see brown from last year, and I see little bits of green all over the plant. And you just have to, like, say, too bad, and just cut it down anyway. You'll be cutting out some green, probably, when you do that cutting down. So, you know, energy goes into producing those leaves, and then you are going to cut them down and compost them. It's fine. The, uh, fertilize in the spring. If the plants are healthy, they will they'll thank you for that pruning. So just make it high priority when you do get back in the spring to get outside on a sunny day and do that, that hacking back I'm referring to. Great. Well, thank you very much, Charlie. You have a great time um, uh, out west, and uh, I, hope, I hope you have a great trip. Thank you very much. Thank you, Thanks Bob. Thanks for calling, Bob. And for joining us here on the show. Uh, we have a note here that I think a lot of people have been uh, wondering when they cut down plants, how, how should it be, how severe can it be? Anyway, yeah. a note from uh, Dan Middleton regarding his cherry tree. He says, my three-variety cherry tree has gotten away from me over the past few years. The upper branches are the height of the house. <laughs> how far back can I cut it without making it too angry? And what huh. height should it be? Dan Middleton. I know. So this is a bit of a tricky question. So, Dan, you, you, you indicate that it's a three-variety cherry tree. So that means, you, know, you remember we talked about the tree of 40 fruit that Moses uh, had um, commissioned to be planted mm-hmm. in High Park. So that's, it's the idea of grafting more than one variety of a fruit onto one plant. So he's got a tree. It's got three different kinds of cherries on it, but he hasn't told us what those varieties are. Uh, Dan sent a picture, and he's right. It's very tall, <laughs> and his house was two stories high, so this tree is also two stories high, which is not a very good height for uh, harvesting the fruit, and it got away from him. You know what? The, the bottom line is don't let trees get away from you. Stay on top of them. <clears throat> you can control the height of fruit trees if you prune annually, and you always prune fruit trees late winter, early spring, when they're still dormant. Um, you know, I, I, back 
20, 30 years ago, when I, I knew more about fruit trees, I, I, there were no dwarf sweet cherries available in Canada that I know of. The only dwarf cherry trees were that, like the baking, what we call the sour cherries, the, the ones we make cherry pie with. The other tree, cherries, the bing and all those sweet, lovely cherries, were big, tall trees, ultimately. They just wanted to be 30, 40 feet tall. When I looked up here quickly, I see that they are talking about some cold, hardy cherry trees that stay fairly small, but again, you have to, main, you have to look after them. To keep them that height, you have to prune them. So otherwise, they don't, they'll get 35 to 25 feet tall. Uh, the dwarfs, of course, can be controlled down at the 12 to 15 foot height with consistent care. So what does Dan do now? If I were you, I would do a little research. See if you can find an arborist who specializes or at least is knowledgeable on fruit trees. Because I find that <clears throat> there's not a lot of certified arborists, particularly in the GTA, who know fruit trees. So it can be a bit intimidating for you to take, try and do a proper job on a tree like this. And if the arborist is afraid to do it, then that makes it even harder. Uh, so, you know, it's one of those things. I, I would try and bring somebody in, but get, it needs to be brought down to a reasonable height and kept at a reasonable height. So that's going to be a job for next February, March. So you've got some time to try and find somebody to help you. Otherwise, <clears throat> YouTube videos, Dan. Start watching videos and get some sharp tools and get ready to do this yourself. But it's a... It is, there is a certain skill, no question, to fruit tree pruning. Yeah, exactly. There's a certain skill in growing great tomatoes, and we've got online <laughs> one of our friends who is an expert at that, and that would be Werner from <laughs> Tilstenburg. Hey, good morning. Good morning, uh, Werner. Franklin, our sweethearts, <laughs> thank you for your professional advice and highlight free. I have potting soil. Can I put that in the garden when I'm finished with it or oh, put it in the composter? Either one works. The potting soil that's been had plants growing in it uh, yeah. is, is fine. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's just, oh, yeah, when you're finished with it, like you're transplanting a plant or you're planting a plant into the garden, leave that potting soil on. Um, you know, it's pretty expensive to add that as an amendment to our soil, but certainly it does absolutely no harm in the garden or in the composter. Oh, beautiful. Thank you very much. No, That's great, Werner. Thank you. Welcome. All right. Good to hear from you, my friend. Thanks for joining us here on The Garden Show, which, by the way, uh, we're broadcasting from uh, the uh, Zoomerplex in Liberty Village. At least I am. Uh, Charlie is at her home in Prince Edward County. Now, we have a note here from Cheryl and Tony, and uh, she says, uh, let's see... Um, Hi, Charlie. I hope you're doing well. Would you happen to know what this plant is? Is it a weed or a flower? It was in my mother-in-law's garden. I'm not sure what it is. Well, very obviously, Cheryl sent you a picture of that. Multi-pictures, actually. Uh, so it, from the pictures, it is a form of onion uh, or allium. It might be garlic chives. The difference between chives and garlic chives is that garlic chives have flat leaves and regular chives have hollow cylindrical leaves so it's a bit hard to tell in the photographs but it is a form of allium and you can see what's going on it's got um it's just like uh our first caller when marlene called about these green onions multiplier onions that have got these balls on top of them so same idea this is an allium that is going to seed so what are you going to do you can uh obviously harvest and eat recognize these these 
plants will spread in your garden, either by seed or by little tiny baby bulbs. So um, here in Ontario, we don't usually worry too much, but honestly, any chive plant can be uh, uh, so vigorous that it can really do a takeover in your garden. So just be aware of that. Uh, when I was checking out some information, I found out that this is uh, considered a noxious weed in places like Australia because it's just you know completely out of control, taking over the entire continent. Um, but lots of good sun, good drainage. Uh, don't hesitate to dig up, divide, share. All parts are edible and medicinal, so it's a handy plant to have in the garden, and it you know it can be very attractive when they're flowering. And then, of course, enjoy what uh, harvest what's there. And remember, even the flowers are edible. All righty, uh, reaching for my bell. Here we go. Here's a first-time caller. That's for Lois in Aurelia, who's online with us right now. Good morning. Welcome to the show, Lois. Good morning. Welcome. Thank you. Um, is this Charlie Dobbin? Yes, it, it is. is. It, yeah, go okay. Ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not used to doing this. Um, I have a hydrangea plant. It's it's a huge bush, and um, the flowers aren't opening. There's a few of them that have opened on the lower part branches, but the main plant, the flowers aren't opening into nice big round snowballs. <laughs> are they? Are there buds there? There's. Uh, are there buds? Yeah. Buds, oh yes, like lots. flower buds. And they're flower buds for sure, not leaf buds? No, they're flower. Oh, and they're just sitting there, green. They're, they're green, and they have the odd little flower pops out, and that's it. Mm-hmm. And what color is it normally? White? White, white. yeah, it's a white plant. Um, I mean, it, it, it's only July 17th. It's not like September or anything. Uh, I, I, is, so how, you say big, like how, how old and how big is this plant? It's quite big now. It's about, oh, six years old. Okay, so not that old. And it's always consistently flowered top to bottom. Usually, yeah. Just this year and, and last summer, it didn't, it didn't like the flower. The flowers come, like the, the buds are all there, but they just mm-hmm. don't, or they, they look like the, uh, some of them have, have opened up, but there's mm-hmm. no flower. It's like the bees are taking the pollen and... There's no flower left or something. I don't know. Hmm. Okay, so that's a weird one. All right, tell you what. If you can possibly take a photograph and send it to my email address at the radio station, which Frank will share in a minute, that would help because this is a. I'm not. I'm. This is not something I'm familiar with. I'm. I'll do a quick Google while while Frank gives out my email address. But it's. Um. Yeah. Hydrangeas. What, what more normally happens is they don't flower. We just end up with a big green shrub and no no flowers at all. Oh. Um, so so the fact that it's white blooming, it's probably what we call Annabelle hydrangea. Do you remember? The, I don't variety? remember. No. Okay. Um, not flowering. The flowers okay. on it are bigger than grapefruits. I mean, they're huge when they do oh, flower. They're beautiful. Yeah, and white. So likely. And do you have it? How much sun is this plant in? Um, let me see. It's on the uh, east side of the building. It's a morning sign. Mm. Yeah, so, um, all right, well, you, you, let me, I'm just going to I'm just doing okay, a quick I'm, I'm just going to pop in with your email address. Will <laughs> sure. you do a quick search <laughs> as you can there, Charlie? Mm-hmm. Uh, if you'd like to send a, a, an email to Charlie with a picture, here's the address. It's C. Dobbin, D-O-B-B-I-N, at 
mzmedia.com. At where? mzmedia.com. Yeah. Media. There you, there you go. Dot com. I'm what? sorry, I'm computer literate, so I'll have to get oh. my friend over to do that. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> okay. Fine. So yeah. don't expect it right away. <laughs> no, no, no. That's okay. Don't worry. Just when you can. Because, I mean, there are insects that will actually stitch the leaves together and make it impossible for the blooms to no, I emerge. Saw a, I saw a few, th- few leaves like that, yes. Yeah, okay. So that is a little insect that's doing that, and that does not hurt the plant, but it does affect the quantity of flowers that uh, you will see, because with the leaves stitched together like that, the uh, it, and of course, the little tiny baby insect is inside there chewing on the buds anyway. Uh, um, so, so plant survives, but uh, the you know blooms just aren't as prolific as we would like to see. Uh-huh. <clears throat> um, yeah, I mean, I, here's, here's just, in a nutshell, seven reasons why hydrangeas may fail to bloom. One is hungry deer. Do you have deer in your property? <laughs> Maybe, actually, you're in Aurelia. Yes, well, it's not him. <laughs> okay, so deer will eat hydrangea. Excess nitrogen, so that means too much fertilizer with the first number, the nitrogen being the first number. Excess nitrogen gives you a very green plant and not a lot of flowers. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> harsh winters. We didn't have a particularly harsh winter last winter, but super hard winters will cause a phenomenal amount of dieback on hydrangeas. Not enough water. Um, uh, so you probably were watering when we were into the real dry April, May, I imagine. No, um, I didn't actually. Okay. Just kind of leave things to naturally grow. Yeah. Uh, I might yeah, I mean, need a drink of water. Yeah. We did have a dry spring. I mean, right now we're getting some some rain that we would have expected back in you know April, May, or June, but better late than never, I always say. So sometimes not enough water can affect uh, blooms. Pruning problems, so meaning pruned improperly. Too much shade, too much sun. Both too much shade, too much sun will will affect blooms, um, number of blooms. But an eastern location should be good. Where you've got it should be a good spot. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, uh, yeah, you can, if you can send a photograph, do so. Um, otherwise, yeah, consider just what you've been doing. Make sure you do maintain water when we oh. get into dry, dry weather. Okay, let me double-check this. It's E... Uh, dot Dobbin no, no, sorry, at C. mzmedia.com. Sorry, darling. No, it's C. As it's what? In C, like in cat. Oh, C. <laughs> C. Yes, C. Dobbin. Okay. Charlie is... Uh, at com. That's right. Okay. You got it. Okay. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much, Charlie. <laughs> And people. <laughs> okay, yeah. thank you. Thanks for joining the show, and don't be a stranger. Come on That's back. Nice. It'll, it'll be much easier next time around. Believe me. All right, <laughs> have a note here. Uh, Charlie from Vanessa, and I, she, she says, Japanese beetles. Yuck. Uh, long-time listener, and now I need help again, please. Just discovered my rows of Sharon's are covered with Japanese beetles. Other than picking them off, is there a spray, uh, pardon me, a spray that's effective? Vanessa Gray in Brampton. Right. Uh, we are at the time of year now that we the uh, gypsy moth larvae have moved on from all the chewing they were doing. Now they're little moths flitting around laying eggs and not chewing anything. Now we get to the next stage of pests in our garden, and of course, sure enough, it's Japanese beetles. So Japanese beetles are beetles, very pretty, uh, almost like a little piece of jewelry, uh, copper, iridescent, shiny bodies. But they can, they'll eat just about anything. They're very attracted to flowering plants like Rose of Sharon. They love roses. 
they, uh, back in Richmond Hill, they used to annihilate my bean plants. They love beans. Uh, the good thing about Japanese beetles is they're very slow moving. Once they're sitting on your plant chewing, they, they barely move. They just sit there and chew. So if you can do it, you go out with a little empty tuna fish can or whatever, like a vessel with water in it, and then a drop of oil or a drop of soap, and then you just sweep all these little Japanese beetles into your, your vessel of water and, and oil or soap, and they drown and die, and it's all quite messy. But bottom line is you, you lower the population. That is your one best option. But there is also, I've just learned, a brand-new spray. It's, again, it's one of those BTs. Remember we talked about BT for using on those gypsy moth larvas way back six months, six weeks ago. So, but that was BTK. This is BTG. So B as in bacillus, T as in thuringiensis, and G for, I forget what. So BTG is what you're going to look for under the trade name Beetle Gone. B, Beetle Gone, G-O-N-E. It's a mix with water and spray. It is available on the web. It's prices all over the map. It's quite expensive. Uh, a pound of this, I guess, it's like a powder, basically. A pound is as much as $80 for BTG. Uh, so it is a patented strain of Bacillus thuringiensis. What we love about this spray, any of the BT products, is that it's a bacteria. It's not a live bacteria. It's a dead bacteria that you spray onto plants that are being chewed, in this case by beetles, any beetle. And uh, the, the beetles will chew on the leaf after you sprayed it, and it's a, a stomach poison for them. So they won't drop dead right before your very eyes. It takes a couple hours for them to die, but they will die. And the bacteria that, that they've eaten that kills them is completely safe for pets and bees and birds and all the wildlife. So the, the, the actual you know, active ingredient in a BT product is, is used and is, is completely certified and registered for organic gardens and organic um, farmers to use. So you know it is uh, very, very effective to do what it's supposed to do. But, yeah, bottom line, it's get a hold of Beetle Gone or pick and squish and drown. <laughs> okay. Whoa, sounds so appetizing. Mm, <laughs> yummy, yummy, like a dummy. Saturday right. morning we're, fun time. Right? Yeah, we're up to our next break here, but we do have a very patient uh, lady online, Diane, just around the corner, maybe here in Toronto. She'll be next on the show. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. I'm Frank Proctor, the sous chef of the garden. Delighted to be with you this morning. Back in a moment. Don't change stations just because the weather changes. Garden tips and advice all year round. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Old saying that patience is a virtue, and that <laughs> certainly applies to Diane, who's been on the line here for a little while. Delighted to welcome you to the uh, airways here, Diane, and let me introduce you to Charlie Dobbin. Good morning, are. Diane. Hi. Hi, Charlie. Uh, thanks for taking my call, and Frank, of course. Um, I have a desert rose. Uh, it's a tropical plant. It's indoors. This is the second time it's, it's gotten scale. Mm. Um, what should I do? Should I just toss it? It's fairly small. It's, uh, you know, like six inches tall sort of thing. It's never bloomed. Mm. It's, it's, be, it's, in, um, it's, it's in a uh, cactus soil. Right. And, uh, yeah, it, it just hasn't ever done much. Maybe a couple leaves here and there. 
Um, and but you recognize it's got scale. Yeah. You, rec- you know what oh, yeah. scale looks and like. So what I did the last time, I just took a little bit of rubbing alcohol with the, mm-hmm. um, uh, what do you call it, a Q-tip, and mm-hmm. just brushed it all off. And mm-hmm. I, I didn't transplant though. Maybe I. Should. Uh, yeah. Well, the the problem with scale is similar to the problem with mealybug. Very very hard to eliminate. Oh. It's uh, you know you, you can. See the, the insect, you can use the rubbing alcohol and the Q-tip and, and do what needs to be done. Uh, but there's always those little cracks and crannies where they hide. Oh. And so it can just be so, so frustrating. Um, how big of a pot is it in right now? Uh, it, it's, it's probably in a, like a three-inch pot or four. Yeah. It's, like I said, it's not a big plant. Right. Yeah, I mean, they're better underpotted than overpotted because any of the succulents and cacti will not have extensive root systems. So, that, ah, okay. you know, it's almost better to have them like, like you've got in a little pot. Right. Uh, and plenty of sun. Have you got it at the sunniest possible window in your place? Yeah, it's quite bright, yes. And you've had it for a couple of years, it sounds like. Ah, uh, geez, I've actually had it probably for six years. Huh. I'd say I expect it to be a little bit bigger, but... <laughs> It's not doing anything. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, they do have to reach a certain level of maturity before they're going to bloom. Uh, um, but, uh, you know, and sometimes that can take a couple of years. But in your case, you said it's, you've already been looking after it for six years. <laughs> I mean, I, it's up to you. I mean, uh, you know that the scale is – do you have lots of other plants or is this your only one? Oh, this is the only one, yeah. Uh, I mean, just plants in general indoors. Not de- desert rose, just because scale can be uh, sometimes very uh, um, only go on one plant, but other times scale will wreak havoc in your indoor garden because it'll move to very slowly, but it'll move to other plants, often on us. We don't realize we're transporting insects when they're moving around our house. Right. So, uh, so that would be the one reason why I would just give up and toss it. Yeah. Uh, because it's just, it can't, you know, you don't want to have a big infestation. But, uh, but on the other hand, you know, it's, it, you've had it that long. You know, maybe it's worth it. There's no magical insecticide that's going to necessarily kill the scale unless you can figure out exactly when they, um, uh, new babies are born. Because when, Scale babies are born, they don't have a hard shell. They're very, they're little tiny nymphs, they're called. They're very susceptible to even a simple soap spray. Okay. But as soon as they're old enough and they've got that uh, shell created to cover their bodies, then there's absolutely no insecticide out there that will get them only rubbing alcohol, like you said, just okay. a pick. Should I, should I, like, retransplant if I'm going to keep it? Um, if you see roots growing, I mean, I assume it's in a pot with holes, with drainage holes. Yes, yes. So double check. If you see roots through the drainage holes, then definitely transplant. Otherwise, let it be until you see roots. No, but I mean because of the, the pests, because of the scale? Um, it- yeah, but the scale's not going to live in the soil. They live on the plant. Really. Okay, okay. Um, yeah. Well, um, I'll, I'll try one more time. Okay. <laughs> and how often would you... Oh, this is the second question. I better not ask that. <laughs> no prank. How often do you water it? But I haven't been watering it very much. No, that's good. Don't water it. Yeah. Okay. Let it dry right down between waterings. Okay. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thanks good for luck. joining Thanks. us here on uh, what should be a nice sunny morning, but it isn't. <laughs> we'll try and bring a little brightness your way, though. Um, 
I'm going to take a little bit of a break, maybe a tad early here to allow you time to answer what seems to be a common problem to a lot of folks. We've had uh, uh, emails from Irene Schmidt and also Victoria Ashton. So let me uh, take the break now, Charlie, and you just give yourself a moment to catch your breath and then come back and we'll detail what these emails are all about. You're listening to The Garden Show on Zoomer Radio. This is Zoomer Radio Toronto. CFZM FM and CFZM AM. Owned and operated by MZ Media Incorporated. Fur and feathers and bugs of all size. There's more going on in the garden than you realize. Should small creatures become a big problem, then you've got the Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Exclusively on Zoomer Radio. And Charlie, there's a certain commonality here with the email from Irene Schmidt, and we'll follow that with comments from Victoria Ashton. But Irene uh, writes... We don't know, uh, oh, I discovered a new pest in our lawn. We don't know what it is, and although it looks pretty, I think it would be best to get rid of it. With so many flowers, it probably spreads by seeds. Do you know what it is and the best way to deal with it? Uh, but uh, Victoria Ashton has written in to you uh, and said, When we moved into this house 11 years ago, the lawns were full of weeds and clover. I spent months pulling them up. Then I found a fabulous recipe online, and it works. No weeds or clover in sight. For the bees, I grow a lot of bee-friendly flowers. And uh, I'll just give the uh, recipe. Is that okay, Charlie? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, Yeah, go ahead. Sure. She says, uh, this is what I use. One gallon garden sprayer, fill with water to three-quarters full, add a... Uh, a teaspoon and a half of any weed killer, slowly add one ounce of baby shampoo, slowly add more water up to the gallon mark, stir very slowly, trying not to make bubbles. You can always add a drop more of weed killer if the one isn't used to uh, killing the weeds. And uh, I hope that helps out. Gosh, have you heard that before, adding uh, baby uh, shampoo? Well, I mean, keep baby shampoo is soap. Yeah. So soap, it can be very effective when it comes to killing insects. It can also be very effective at killing plants on a hot, sunny day. Uh, now, she doesn't refer to this doing any damage to her lawn. She refers, this is um, Victoria saying that this recipe came from online. Yeah. Her, her lawns were full of weeds and clover. <clears throat> She's eliminated the weeds and clover in her lawn with this recipe. What I find a bit odd is that uh, we're slowly, we're adding one and a half tablespoons of any weed killer, one and a half tablespoons of any weed killer uh, into a one gallon spreader, so a sprayer. So any weed killer, that, so that could be Roundup, that could be vinegar, it could be lemon juice, <laughs> like the weed killers that are out there are kind of very different now than they were uh 20 years ago, but again, she's talking 11 years ago. I'm always just a bit hesitant to trust recipes off the web, though sometimes they work. So uh, hopefully, um, going back to Irene and her very pretty weed that suddenly sprouted in her lawn, do pull it out. This looks quite pullable, or consider using um, a, a recipe such as what Victoria has shared with us to annihilate. I'm a pretty big fan of pulling weed, so as opposed, I mean, so some things you just can't pull, um, which reminds me, uh, I sent you an email, Frank, that, um, where did it go? Right, it was from Freddie, and it was on the subject of an unknown plant that yeah. suddenly popped up in their, uh, they live in Burlington, so 
and his plant showed up close to our garage. This was back in June when Freddie sent the email. He says, we did not plant it there, and it was never there before. Because of its size, we could not have missed it. So obviously it's a big plant. We may have seen it at the RBG, Royal Botanical Gardens, when we used to walk there. Can you tell us the name? Just wondering if we should leave it or remove it. And sent a photograph, thank goodness. I looked at the photograph. I go, Freddie, I'm afraid that plant looks a lot like giant hogweed. Ooh. It's a very, very noxious, dangerous plant. Uh, I gave him a link to Ontario.ca <clears throat> giant hogweed, and he connected to that link, and he went, oh, my goodness, that's exactly what I've got. So he responded, and this is great. This is a good follow-up. I'm, I'm sharing this with people because it is really, really good to, uh, when in doubt, get an identification on plants because we do have some odd invasive plants entering our gardening world. <clears throat> and not all of us live uh, in, uh, on, you know, some of us live in condos and apartments, et cetera. It turns out Freddie lives uh, in a retirement village. So he says he called the Ontario Ministry of Agriculture. They told him that the municipality will remove giant hogweed if it's on public property but they will not go on private property. Uh-huh. And since he lives in a retirement village and he doesn't own it, so he called the office and re- they jumped right onto it. Within a few hours, they have, were over and with proper care, removed the plant safely, and it's now gone. And Freddie is now safe, and so is the entire community because it, it uh, is a plant that can really cause damage. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, concern to many, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do have a caller online who is a first time caller. And so, hey, that's for Claudio in Etobicoke. Good morning. Hi, Claudio. Hello? Morning. Yeah, hi. That's me. Uh, Claudio, are you there? Here we, here we Okay. I guess we have to go to, uh, let's see, what is it? John in Markham. Good morning, John. Yeah, good morning to both. Good morning. I have a question. I, I, uh, somebody told me who has, uh, they, they called it Sicilian zucchini. They, and I grew the Masaga four plants. And she told me if you have no fruit, you have to pollinate yourself because due to no bees in the, in the, uh, in the world these days, uh, okay. Is that, it possible you pollinate yourself with your with an IQ, a Q-tip or something? Yeah, it is. Uh, it is. I was surprised. Have, pardon? I was surprised to hear oh. that. Okay, so just to be clear, we do have lots of bees and pollinating insects in Ontario. So where you are in Markham, you should not have issues with pollination. Uh, but there are parts of the world, like most of China, where all pollination is done by hand because of the pollution oh. levels, the insect levels. The insect populations have dropped right off. But oh. uh, you're right. Any of the squashes, the zucchinis, the squashes, they do need to be pollinated. There's male flowers and female flowers, very different flowers on the same plant. They uh-huh. need to be open at the same time. Oh, they yeah. usually open as the sun is coming up, at, like at dawn. Uh-huh. Uh, they, 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 and they're only open for an hour or two. So it's a very short blooming period with the, with the squash flowers. Oh. And magically, as the flowers are opening, the sun is rising, little tiny insects need to arrive and visit both flowers. But, if that doesn't happen, you will not get fruit or, or squashes. So, what do I know as a male versus a female? That's I'll just go around do everything. It's like they all treat them all the same. <laughs> yeah. Well, the the one difference that's really obvious is that 
the flowers, the, one, one flower will be attached directly to the, the, the vine, uh-huh. uh, tight, tight to the vine, yeah. and that's the female flower. And oh. another flower will have a stem on it, which is then attached to the vine. Okay. So male flower. So that's a really obvious way to tell them apart. Oh. One has a little stem attached, the other does not. But either way, Q-tip or soft, clean uh, paintbrush, and it's just a little bit of a, you know, Fiddle in the flower, and then move the next flower, and fiddle in the flower, and pretend you're a little bee. It looks like I'm expecting. Maybe I won't have any. (laughs) (laughs) I'm afraid we have to wrap things up on uh, on that note. (laughs) You have luck with bees or no bees, or the plan to solve did not bring fruit. Right. So okay. I'm sorry. Uh, we're we're just out of time. We're out yes. of time here, folks. Um, mm-hmm. I'm sorry to kind of break in, but the time is our major enemy here on the show. Yeah, we just uh, ran out the clock, and uh, we thank everybody for their calls and their questions, and mm-hmm. and uh, fun and frivolity as we face this weekend here. Uh, and, and welcome back, Charlie. Glad to have you back in the province of Ontario. Yeah, thanks, Frank, and thanks for all your help today. Couldn't do any of this without you, and Carlos and great callers, great emailers. Keep them coming, and we'll see you all again next week. Very good. This has been an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.